I've been hanging around Christmas for a long time. I'm never center stage, but I'm always somewhere in the nativity. Often seen, but seldom ever heard. I thought you might want to hear the Christmas story from my perspective this year. Oh, you never grow tired of that story, do you? Story of love, a story of hope, a story of salvation, a story of angelic messengers. Well, sometimes I feel like the father of the bride at the wedding. No one hardly notices him, but he has to pay for the whole affair. I'm so glad that you love Christmas, but it really did cost me a lot. Let me introduce myself. My name is Joseph, son of David. Now, that was my claim to fame, that I was a descendant of Israel's greatest king, David. But by the time I came along, David had been dead a thousand years, and there were hundreds. No, they were, there were thousands of descendants of David. But, but I was still proud of that, like you might be proud of tracing your family tree all back to a hero from the Alamo or 15 or 16 generations back to someone who came over on the Mayflower. I, I was proud to be a descendant of David, but... By the time I came along, the glory of the reign of David had passed. We didn't even dream dreams or have visions anymore, God's people. But I was from Bethlehem like David. It's just a small town about seven miles south of Jerusalem. But given my trade, I couldn't just stay in Bethlehem. I had to travel and go wherever the work was. And, well, I went just about everywhere in every small village. And, and one time I went up north by the Sea of Galilee to a little town by the name of Nazareth. I, I found a lot of work in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is so small, it's just a hamlet. I am surprised that any of you have ever even heard of Nazareth. Amongst my countrymen, there was a joke that Nazareth was so small, they used to say, could anything good come out of Nazareth? I used to think Nazareth is so small, can anything good or bad come out of Nazareth? But I didn't go to Nazareth because it was a great city. I went there because I could find work. I'm a carpenter. Now that tells you something about me. I'm not a poet, a philosopher, or a prophet. I'm a carpenter. I like things that I can handle and and measure and cut and saw. I like wood. There's a, a spirit. There's an essence about wood. Oak, some, some wood is as hard as a rock. Oak or cedar or, or some is pliable like pine. It's pliable as clay. But there's a, a spirit and a, an essence about wood. Now, I do not believe it for a moment. I, I checked these, and you're good here in this temple, but if you're this cheap, shame on you. I've been told that some of you have doors that are hollow on the inside. That would have never done if I was a carpenter. I like wood 
that's wood all the way through. I like integrity in wood, and I like integrity in people, too. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it in a moment, but I... 40 days passed. It was time for the purification of the mother and the child. And we made our way up to the temple. And, well, being a carpenter, it's kind of hard on a man's ego. You can't always provide your family with all the things you want to provide them with. And as we went, the law required the sacrifice of a lamb and a dove. But being a carpenter, I didn't have the money to buy a lamb to sacrifice. And there was a provision for the poor and the law, and I was allowed to sacrifice just two doves. But I'll tell you more about that, that wonderful occurrence in a moment. Well, I was happy in Nazareth. It was small. It was just a hamlet, but the work was plentiful, and I didn't make a lot of money, but I was happy because it was there that I first met my Mary. She was about 15 or 16 years of age when we met, and it wasn't very long until we were betrothed. Now, being betrothed is something like your engagement, only it's more serious, if anything could be more serious than engagement. It's during that time that the families get to know each other and the dowry is set and the temple records are searched. I mean, in a country as small as mine, you could marry your cousin and not know it. So they had to search the records in the temple to make sure it was okay for you to get married. And it was a wonderful time of betrothal. And I just fell all the more in love with my Mary. She was the perfect combination of a girl and a woman. As a girl, there were times that she would laugh and throw her head back and her eyes would dance with joy. As a woman, she was as solid as the pillar of the temple. I, I told you I'm not a philosopher, but, but Mary was. Mary had these deep, wonderful thoughts. Mary pondered things and Sometimes she put her thoughts to music and her songs were absolutely magnificent. It was during that time of betrothal that I began to dream the wonderful dream of what it would be like to marry my Mary. Oh, I, I didn't have much money, but as a carpenter, I could do anything with my hands. I could lay the stone. I could form the timbers. I could spread the mud. I could do it all. And I thought about the kids we would have that would run around the house that I would build with my own hands for Mary. And it was a wonderful time of betrothal, but it doesn't take long for a dream to become a nightmare. Mary started acting strangely, strangely different. Mary, like a turtle, she just kind of went into her shell. I was called away to some work at Capernaum, and while I was there, I, I rehearsed in my mind, what could possibly be wrong with my Mary? Had they found something in the temple records that said we wouldn't be able to be wed? Was her family pushing her to marry somebody who could provide more for her than a simple carpenter? Had I done something to offend my Mary? I mean, what was wrong with Mary? I, I finished up the job at Capernaum. I, I traveled 
back. And I said, Mary, you tell me, and you're going to tell me right now, what is wrong, Mary? Pregnant? Mary, pregnant? How, how, Mary, I knew I hadn't, and if not, who? Mary, how could you? We had hopes, we had dreams, we had a future of all the scenarios that I imagined in my mind as to what was wrong with my Mary. It never even crossed my mind. Pregnant, Mary, oh, my Mary. I'm just a carpenter, but I try to be a righteous man. I tried to read the scripture and obey the law. And first, I was so upset, I was going to take Mary and drag her to the gates, put her before the elders, declare my own innocence, because you know who they would think the father was if we were betrothed. I was going to cover my shame with hers. But then, as hurt as I was, I, I still loved her. I decided I would just put her away quietly in the relationship and make some sort of excuse up. Some of you are old enough to remember those times in life when the young lady has to go away for nine months before she can show back up. That's the way it was with Mary. She was going to go to Hebron to be with her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah. But here's the thing. Elizabeth believed her. When Mary was approaching, Elizabeth said... Mary, you are favored among women, for you are the mother of my Lord. Hadn't even told her yet. Elizabeth knew. Mary, you are highly favored among women, for you are the first one to ever call him Lord. You are the mother of my Lord. Mary had gone to Hebron. I was having sleepless nights. Night after night, working off very little sleep. And it was one of those sleepless nights. I don't know if I was awake or asleep, or it's probably, you know, that in between. You're awake and you're not awake and you're asleep and you're not really good asleep. It's those nights, those torturous nights when everything is haunting you like a nightmare. In the middle of one of those sleepless, troubled nights, an angel of the Lord visited me and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is within her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mary had told the truth. 
I couldn't wait till morning. I awakened and I, I went to Hebron and I found Elizabeth and Zechariah and I apologized for not having believed Mary and I found Mary and I brought her back to Nazareth and as soon as we could, I made her my wife. But I, I didn't touch her. I promise you until after the birth of that boy, I didn't, I didn't touch her. I told Mary I was so sorry that I had not believed her. She said, Joseph, there's days I still have a hard time believing it myself. It's okay. When I was young, I was so naive. I mean, if this was the creator of the cosmos and he had been planning on this to be the salvation of all his people and his creation, if we've been waiting for this Messiah to arrive for centuries, don't you think God would have made it easy? But I learned what God is teaching you now. That God is not found in the easy. God is found in the suffering. About that time, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, I understand in your day that the census taker comes to you. It never occurred to Caesar that he needed to come to me, Joseph, son of David. All the men had to report back to the city of their birth. And being a descendant of David, I had to go back to Bethlehem. But here's the, here's the problem. Do I take Mary with me? If I leave her back and she bears a child, and well, you know, the caustic rumors and the tongues, and I'm not even there, then you can imagine the gossip she would face. But I could tell it weren't many days until this was going to happen. And so I, it was three days' journey on the back of a donkey. And I didn't know, do I take Mary? Do I not take Mary? Mary, Mary finally said, Joseph, I want to go. Don't leave me back here alone. And I assured Mary it would be okay because once we got to Bethlehem, I had family in Bethlehem. When we arrived there in Bethlehem, I went to see the family and told them, we're here, we need a place to stay, it's the census. And well, they said, Joseph, we're sorry, there's not any room left, you're, you're too late. Oh, that's okay, Mary and I are used to sleeping on a pallet anyway, I said, the beds are taken, I understand. They said, Joseph, you don't understand. The beds are taken. The hallways are taken. Even the rooftop is taken. Joseph, there's no room. I, I said, but I'm family. And they said, Joseph, is census. Everybody that's here is family. There's no room. You'll have to go find a room at the inn. Now, Bethlehem's small. There's not a a lot of rooms in the end. And I, I went to one end after another, and every one of them said the same. No room, no room, no room. 
I finally found a, a cave on the edge of the village. It wasn't much, but it would protect us from the elements. We got inside the cave and settled down for a moment and made a little place to sleep. And then, and then, he came. I didn't know what to do. I'm a carpenter, not a midwife. I severed the umbilical cord as best I could, and I I cleaned up the baby. I looked around at all the animal filth on the floor, and the, the highest thing I could find was the cattle's feeding trough, and I took it, and I dumped it, and I, I put it in new straw, new hay, and Mary was tired, and she wanted to sleep. I put the baby in the manger. If this really is the Son of God, how do you explain a cave and an animal filth on the floor and a cattle's feeding trough for his first bed? And we were lonely. Mary and I aren't stone or wood like the little characters in your activity. We were flesh and blood and we... Well, no one came to see us, no one came from Nazareth, and no one came from Jerusalem, and no one came from Rome. Nobody even came from Bethlehem. We felt the loneliness pushed out to a cave, the edge of the village. We did have a few visitors The shepherds were the first to show up. Country bumpkins with the smell of wineskins all around their neck. They had been out watching the flocks at night, and there was a bright and terrible light, and angels of the Lord proclaimed to them, Fear not, for... Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people everywhere. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that one angel a host, a heavenly host of angels saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. Forty days passed. We went up to that temple. I was telling you earlier, and and now I'm ready to tell you about that moment. Now, mind you, every single day in the temple, there are baby boys dedicated and This was just another day in the temple, and we went up to the temple for the purification of the mother and the son, and the minute we walked in, there was an old man by the name of Simeon. Now, you know how first-time mothers are. You know, the third child, you'll hand him off. First child, 
Simeon just comes up, takes the baby out of Mary's hands without really asking permission, holds up the baby and says, I am ready to die, O Yahweh, for my eyes have seen your salvation. How did he know? He was more sure than I was. Who told him? And there was an old woman, 84 years old, in fact, named Anna. And the minute, the minute we walked by with Jesus for the purification, she just began to rejoice. Anna rejoiced. It was as if she had been waiting for this moment. She had been in the temple every day waiting for this moment and this baby that would change everything. We decided to stay in Bethlehem. We didn't want to go back to Nazareth with all the gossip and the wagging tongues. It was a tough place to be. I had family there. They needed a carpenter. They had friends who needed a carpenter. We would do the best we could. We weren't going back to Nazareth. We decided we would just stay there in Bethlehem. Months and months and months and months passed, and, and then we had some more visitors. These were astrologers from Iran. They were kingly. They were wise men. They came into the little rent house, and they bowed a knee to our baby. And they showed up with these magnificent gifts of gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. Now, that, that sounds good in a Sunday school lesson and all. But when you're in the rent house and these kings come in and take a knee to your baby and give you the gold, it's hard to know what to make of it. I always saw those gifts of the precious metal, the ointment, the perfume, as a provision from God. For I had another dream, and yet another angel spoke. You see, the wise men had gone to Herod and said they'd come to worship the new king. Herod was paranoid, and the angel said that Herod was going to be murderous towards all the baby boys and the environs of Bethlehem, and it was going to happen soon, and we had to get out and go to Egypt, and so we escaped by night. After all, the prophet had said so long ago, out of Egypt I will call my son. In Egypt, they didn't have time for a poor Jewish carpenter. It was so hard to find work. And that's when God's provision of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh was what kept us going. And then there was a third dream and a third angel saying that Herod had died and we need to go back to God's country and well, would you believe of all the places on the planet, the creator of the cosmos decided to send us back to Nazareth where all the gossip was, but we went back 
to Nazareth. There were times in my life that I, I thought that if I ever saw an angel or received a word from an angel that I would never have a doubt again. But, but it was hard. You see, Jesus just didn't seem all that different. That's all. He suckled Mary's breast. And you have that song, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He cried, colic half the night, kept me up night after night. He cried. When he came to the table to sit with his siblings, he didn't do any miracles. Well, he ran through the streets of Nazareth playing hide and seek, and he fell and skinned his knees. He bled human blood. You could always tell when Jesus was ready for bed, he starts sucking his thumb. I'd pick him up carry him to his pallet and tell him the stories of the patriarchs like my father before had told me. I told him the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and somewhere in the middle of the story of Abraham and Isaac going up to the mountain for sacrifice, he would fall asleep. And I would tuck in the Son of God into his bed. When he was 12, we made our way up to the temple. Now, this festival... It's hundreds, it's thousands, it may be hundreds of thousands going up to Jerusalem for festival. You travel together as a family, and you, that way the thieves and the thugs hiding on the way of the journey, you can avoid them. And Well, we'd done the festival in Jerusalem. We were headed back. We were a day's journey away from Jerusalem. And Mary says... Joseph, where's Jesus? Man, it's that accusatory tone a woman can use. You know that tone? As if I was responsible for Jesus' whereabouts. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary, I said, quite adamantly back. I don't have Jesus. He's with you. Nope, nope, Joseph, when we left Jerusalem, I looked at you and I said, do you have Jesus? And you nodded your head. Men nod their heads all the time when women speak. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I had lost the Son of God. Now, you're doing the timetable. We are a day's journey away. We've got to go a day's journey back. 
I find him there in the temple. Jesus, son, do you see what you have done to your mother? Didn't you know I would be busy about my father's business, he said? Oh, that sounds good when you read the scripture, but when you hear that from a 12-year-old kid, you don't know what to make of something like that. Some of you have faith like Mary's. Solid as a rock. Some of you have faith like mine. Sometimes pliable like clay. I put my thumbprint on Jesus. I taught him every, his nickname was the carpenter. He made wonderful cupboards and he had a yoke of oxen that was lighter than anybody else's yoke. He was a magnificent craftsman as a carpenter. But he put his thumbprint on me too. For my son became my Savior. And he wants to be yours, too. That's my story. When God looked down on all the creation and picked somebody to father his boy, he picked me, an ordinary Joe who sometimes doubted his beliefs and believed his doubts, but in the end, in obedience, fell on the side of faith. Let us pray. God, there are mornings like this morning when Jesus seems so real. A stinky manger for a bed, and yet angels standing on tiptoes and singing glory to God in the highest. And just as surely as that Christ child interrupted Joseph's life, he's about to interrupt ours. We are just days away from the birth of the king. May we receive him with open hearts. Amen.